listening to Sci-Fi TV Rewatch, episode 516. My name's Dave, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Wayne, as we continue our discussion of the Fox science fiction series, Fringe. Dude, it's been a while since we talked about the weather, you know? <laughs> I guess it's been pretty unremarkable as of late. Well, it's rained for like four straight days, which uh, prevented me from getting out on the tractor and cutting the lawn, but... I dodged the raindrops yesterday and got it done. And uh, well, I couldn't. Did you actually have to cut your lawn before that? Well, you know, it, it's like, as I was saying to Mary, when she always say, well, it doesn't look like it needs to. It's like, yeah, but if you go out in the backyard, there's always places where, I mean, it was literally close to a foot high in a couple places. Oh, now, okay. fortunately, I stopped my lawn service, uh, I don't know, a couple years ago. So my grass is not that lush, thick green I used to have. So... You know, there, if I went more than a week, I couldn't even get the tractor through it. So, right. But, uh, yeah. That's cool. Yeah. We, we have so much like tree shade around our house that the grass just, I mean, there's been times if we, if it doesn't get rain, I could go like a month without cutting my grass. Yeah. Because uh, it just doesn't really grow because of all the shade we have and everything. Yeah. I, I was close to three weeks this time, which I'm not complaining. Wow. Uh, you know, sure. No, no. So, uh, yeah, it's overcast today. Looks like it might rain, but uh, whatever. Um, yeah, it has. It's already rained, Dave. Oh, okay. Well, that would <laughs> preclude that I got outside. <laughs> anyway, all right. Just a reminder, even though we're recording Sunday afternoon, we typically record Monday or Tuesday evening, so any feedback's got to be in by Sunday night, Eastern time. Right now, audio feedback has a six-minute limit. It might get reduced. We'll see how that goes. But I want to thank all our Patreon supporters. Really appreciate you supporting the podcast all this time. If you want to contact us with feedback, questions, whatever, sci-fi TV rewatch at gmail.com is the way you can do that. Check out the Facebook group if you haven't done that yet. All right, what I am watching. Now, per Alan's recommendation, I checked out Chosen on netflix i know i mentioned that last week and the confusion i momentarily had with the chosen um it's a six-parter it's a danish sci-fi series 40-minute episodes yeah as he mentioned in his feedback that it really starts getting curious and i'm a little over halfway through and i'm enjoying it i mean 40-minute episodes that's right up my alley sure so um you know i'll report back when i have finished it but my wife and I are also watching The Sandham Murders, which is a Swedish crime drama, which, you know, the interesting thing that, that we notice with a lot of these European shows is they have very short seasons. And in this case, they are three episodes long. The three episodes constitute one story. And in this case, they're like 45 minutes. So it's, you know, roughly um, movie length. And then they move on. And, and, you know, this show has like eight seasons, I think. So I, I find that really fascinating because that gives the actors a chance to do other things. But as long as the show is successful, they, they know they've got this gig coming up at, you know, whatever point in time that they film each year. So I'm really enjoying that. They're, they're not all this short, but you know, some of them are. So... Uh, yeah, and, and the other thing, a lot of them are two-part self-contained stories 
and then they move on. And, you know, there's some overarching theme usually, but um, I'm, I'm really liking that. So, cool. all right, what do you got? So a couple things. So first of all, I have a question. Dave. Okay. If, uh, if they were making a movie about a kid who, by playing Gran Turismo, ended up actually racing race cars for Nissan, would you actually leave the house to go see that movie? I would not. Okay. But I would watch I it on Netflix. <laughs> All right, cool. Well, that uh, that movie is coming out soon, actually. Did you even know that was a thing? I didn't know that yeah, was a I, thing. I did know. And, and the interesting thing was, you know, they had this this worldwide competition for, you know, you know there's a video game, as, right. as I've mentioned many times. It's the only game I play. And the winners got to go to an actual racing school. And you had a few of them that actually did really well in real life racing. So I assume that's what this movie's kind of about. That is exactly what this movie's okay. about. Because I guess one of the kids, like, is like, I mean, I know nothing about the game. I know nothing about car racing, but um, we did go to see Across the Spider Verse the other day, and one of the previews was. What you just described, okay. exactly. Okay. Well, the well, the realism is extremely well done, and I've read that a lot of real-life race car drivers use the game to learn unfamiliar tracks. And, I mean, like anything, you can spend upwards of you know, probably five to $10,000 on a, on a home setup. I mean, I have a, we, uh, you know, a, a steering wheel and pedals and shifter and all that, but mine are very low-end perfect for me but but you can really get immersed and now they've got the the virtual reality element so you know some of these guys they have like multiple monitors so where they can see not only ahead behind but off to the side so yeah but no i will not be leaving my house to watch it okay that was like literally as i watch this i'm like oh man this is definitely right up dave's alley so well, that being said, let me talk really quickly about in, Across the Spider-Verse, not Into the Spider, Across the Spider-Verse. I, I assume you hadn't seen the original Into the Spider-Verse? No. Spider-Man? No. Okay. Well, the you know, it's actually – I I'm going to take a, a risk here and say I think you might actually really appreciate these movies, Dave. The animation is awesome, uh, but it's – I guess the best way to describe it would be – postmodernist you know okay. it's very unusual and they like you have different animation for each character basically it's like i mean you know marvel has opened up this multiverse right and and uh this kid miles morales has you know unwittingly discovered this uh multiverse and all these different spider people in different universes and everything and uh there's even like a a t-rex spider uh spider-man and uh it's it's crazy, um, but the, you know they they change the animation slightly, the animation style for each different character in each different universe. It's really, really, really cool. Um, but both movies are awesome. I'm not going to say anything about because there's loads of things. You know, I could, I do not want to spoil one second of any uh, of the the movie, uh, either movie. But um, definitely, if uh, if you enjoyed the first one, I'm sure you probably already seen the second one. But uh, you should definitely get it. Where's the first one available? The first one is available. Um, I know Sean, my son Sean bought it on Amazon, but I think it's 
available. Like you can get if you have Paramount Plus. Oh, okay. Um, I, I believe it's on Paramount Plus. Okay. Uh, I and it, I originally saw it was on Netflix. I think it was over like COVID. The first movie came out and it didn't even go to the theaters. They they released it straight to Netflix, um, which is pretty cool. But uh, right now the the second one is in the movie theaters right now. Um, but I imagine will be available soon. So really quickly, the other things uh, I had mentioned Strange New Worlds before. I just uh, rewatching the first episode of season two, and then the second episode. Um, you know, just like the the special effects. It's just you know, it kind of blows my mind watching Strange New Worlds and thinking I'm watching a television show. Like if if my ten year old self could see a television show, a Star Trek television show now, I think his head would just explode. You know, it's just crazy, like, what they can do now and how it looks like a movie, right? Like, TV shows don't look like TV shows anymore. Uh, they're not, you know, they're in the same format as movies. They look like movies. They have the same production values, as the kid from Super 8 would say. So, um, and then, of course, the, uh, the the second episode of Surgery Worlds was a, a courtroom drama, which I love a good courtroom drama, you know, like there's not all quite as good as like to kill a mockingbird or, uh, you know, a few good men, but, uh, this one was, was pretty up there. So, all right. Um, I think I'll hold off on the other stuff I was going to talk about. So I've taken up so much time as it is. So. Okay. All right. Sounds good. Well, always good when there's plenty of stuff to watch. That's for certain. Well, that's right. That's the thing. Like I think we said it last week, but you know, it, when it rains, it pours, man. There's so much stuff right now that's that's coming out. You know, oh, and a new, by the way, a new Marvel show coming out. So it's just it's crazy how like there you'll be have this dry spell, and then all of a sudden there's tons of stuff at the same time. So. All right. Well, let's get to Fringe, episode 17, season two, titled "White Tulip." Written by Jeff Vlaming and J.H. Wyman, directed by Thomas Yatsko, aired April 15th, 2010, which is tax day here in the States. Um, you know, a lot of people feel this is the strongest episode of season two. It's definitely strong. Um, I yeah. have to go back and, you know, kind of look at my notes for each episode. So I'll just leave it at that. It's definitely just an outstanding episode and right yeah i've seen some where some people call this and I, i'm not saying i subscribe to this but i have seen some people saying the best episode ever of fringe yeah so you, you know it's pretty yeah, good i mean there's a hundred episodes of fringe i believe so anyway did you know which i did not that david bowie turned down the role of alistair peck no way oh my god now see that would have done it that would have made it the best episode of Fringe ever. Yeah, but they, I mean, they had uh, I mean, Peter Weller. Yes. Don't get me wrong; like that's a strong casting call right there. But David Bowie, man, that would have been intense. Yep. I mean, we've got RoboCop for goodness' sakes. Yeah. Right. No, I'm not. I'm not. I know. I, I know. Dude, when he, when he shows up in my notes, it says Peter freaking Weller with about ten exclamation points. Yeah, I mean, I don't really know the details as to why David Bowie turned it down. He's another level. David yeah. Bowie's another level to everything. He, well, he is, but you wonder somebody in you know his case. I mean, he'd certainly done films, so he's not opposed to doing something non-musical. So you wonder whether he just didn't want to devote a week or so, which you find hard to believe, or maybe he was just touring and they couldn't you know, sync up the schedules, but, uh, 
I think one of the things that makes this episode so strong are its themes, and, and you could say that about any show. Forgiveness seems to be at the forefront here, and that ending sure. scene, oh my God. I mean, I don't know how many times I can watch that ending, and it affects me the same way every time. Yeah, it's pretty pretty strong ending there, yeah. And then we have to think about whether or not Walter feels God sent it. I, what else can he think, given Walter's state of mind at this point? Well, right, and the fact that he's getting a random letter for some dude he doesn't even know that that has the picture, right? Like, it's not like he... Because, you know, basically when... Uh, Peck is in that accident at the end. He's the the whole episode doesn't happen, right? It wipes out everything, right? And, and that's one of the things about time loops that is both compelling and maddening at the same time. And I know there are a lot of people that will just dismiss a story based around a time loop with the argument, "Well, if none of that ever happened, then what's the point?" And, you know, on the one hand, you can kind of see that reasoning, but we're sci-fi fans, so we're, we're good with right. it. Right. Well, I know you are not a big fan of the kind of Groundhog Day formula in the show, which is they, they don't really go, dare I say, full hog on this. But, um, you know, there is an element of that here. And like you said, at the end, we might say, well, what was the point of all this? Except for, well, I think there was two things. One, I mean, obviously, Walter receiving the picture of the white tulip in the mail, which is super significant in, you know, in a number of ways. But also this idea of, I guess, what Alistair Peck learns, you know, like the decision he ultimately makes instead of trying to save his life. His his wife, I'm sorry. Um, he just goes to be with her when they both now both to die with her and to be with her in that final moment. Because um, he still did have a moment there to say, "Hey, get out of the car now! Let's quick, hurry up, out, 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 out!" You know. But instead, he just took the moment just to tell her he loves her, and I think maybe that shows the impact of what Walter was telling him about unforeseen consequences. Well, yeah, and, and I, I guess that unanswered question that we'll really never know what did peck think was really going to happen because you by your statement just now seem to imply that he knew he was traveling back in time to his own death and the you know the ability to die with the woman he loves as opposed to going back and changing what happened right Yes, and right. that's my theory. I mean, again, it's it's ambiguous, right? We don't, which I love, really know. Yeah, we don't know for sure if he meant to pull her out, or maybe he just didn't know. I'm sure he must have known the details of the accident to know when and how it happened. So, because um, you know, like, at first I assumed that well, he's going to get the car, like, yo, uh, turn right up here. I want to go left. No, turn right. You know. Something like that, but you know, obviously, that's not how the hap- the accident happened in the first place, right? And the fact that we don't know the details of the accident, you know, just promotes that ambiguity. So, and and that's fine. You know, it, it's Walter's statement 
to him, grief can drive people to extraordinary lengths. And on the one hand, we think, well, Walter's referring to his going into the other universe and bringing that Peter back to this. And, and I'm sure that's part of it. But he is a man of science, and, and the two men have that brief interchange where they're really talking about what is God? And Peck says, well, God is science. God is, I forget the scientific achievements he mentions, but right. And on the one hand, you think, all right, well, is he saying that science is God and there is no higher power? Or is he saying that that higher power gives man that intellectual capacity to create these amazing things? And again, there's that ambiguity. We don't really know what he means. We don't. Though we tend to think, you know, like, I mean, just was a couple episodes ago that Walter declared himself as God, right? Well, right. And, and then, you know, of course, that was the old Walter. We know very different because now he feels like God is punishing him, right? Right. You know, now he, he fears God. And, um, you know, Peck to me struck me as being kind of, of – like Walter before, not declaring himself God, but saying that, you know, what people had once attributed to the heavens and to supernatural forces are things we actually understand and can manifest here on earth. Well, you know, when when Walter says that grief can drive people to extraordinary lengths, one of the thoughts that I have about that statement is that Walter Bishop has always been a man of science, and we understand, as you just point out, he tells Peck that that he feels God has been punishing him for his sin. So, is this extraordinary length that has you know grief has driven Walter Bishop to? Is it a belief in God? Is that the extraordinary length? Well, I I tend to think he's talking about his destruction. Of two universes, okay. probably, and, and I certainly. But but, but I think that's part of it, though, too, though, right? Like also, uh, what is a? I mean, he says that that was also another uh, consequence, I guess, of his action, is that his views on you know, on 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 God and and I would say, not necessarily religion, like organized religion, but just spirituality, I guess, is completely changed. Right. I mean, science versus faith is, is certainly a secondary theme of this episode. And and what we learn is that we're not sure about Peck, but Walter Bishop clearly believes in both at this point. And we get that scene on the train, which at the beginning doesn't really mean anything, when he sees the dead woman's cross and I, right. I believe he even touches it. He does. Yeah, he does. And we don't really understand why that's so significant at that point. But once we get you know to the end, it's like, oh, okay. Now we know what he's probably thinking as he sees that cross. The other thing that occurred to me really after my first watch and I still don't have an answer and I guess I could have looked it up, but is this the first time travel story in fringe? Um, yeah, except, you know, I mean, yes, but they did take us back to 1985 and Peter, but it wasn't time. Travel. Right. That was just I mean, a flashback. Just, 
It was just a flashback. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, and, and now again, I, I forget as, you know, as we get more feedback, as I've said, it's like, Oh, it's, it's hard to keep track of who said what. So I apologize, right. you know, who, who said this, but that that the reluctance to oh, you know what? It's a friend of mine from high school that posted in the Facebook group. Now I'm, I'm pretty sure yeah, okay. he said his reluctance to jump into Fringe was because he was afraid it was too like the X Files, and. You know, you look at Fringe, and while this story certainly deals with time travel, for the most part, we're we're dealing with the multiverse as opposed to X Files, which I don't want to say it didn't have it. It never dealt with time travel, but I don't remember where it was more alien invasion, government conspiracy related to alien invasion and that kind of stuff. So they're they're similar but really different. So. I don't remember another time travel story in Fringe up to this point, and I can't remember if we get any more. But uh, if we don't, that's fine. Yeah. I'm, I'm all on board with the multiverse. I love it. Now, you mentioned, and and I think one of the things you have to look at with this episode is, well, what actually happened in this episode? So did the Fringe team ever investigate Alistair Peck and the deaths of on the subway train like at the end no just just in general i mean um oh well yeah well but i mean like like at the by the end of the episode right yeah because then i would say no right because alistair peck died in a car accident right so there was was no there was no train there was no train there was no nothing everything that as you said before right everything that happened in this episode didn't happen Yet we, the only thing that maybe did happen was that conversation between Peck and Walter that Peck had the foresight to mail this letter out to him. So that that's like the only remnant of the whole episode is that that letter that he sends. Yeah, and and the other thing that's still puzzling you you see when Peck time travels back to the eighteenth of May, I think I forget what month it was. And he goes into the field to avoid killing anybody. And, and, and again, you wonder whether it was Walter bringing that up or whether that was his plan all along. Regardless, I, I didn't notice it until the, the rewatch. All the grass around him is dead. And he right. even mentions that, you know, it's it's not going to he's not going to drain any power from humans or i guess animals for that matter but he gets all the plant life i was a little concerned that he was like going to look around and there's going to be like some little kid that was playing in, in the field and yeah on the edge of that and everything i couldn't remember whether that happened or not right. thank god it didn't but i was a little concerned right for a sec. so the question i have and I, again i don't have an answer alistair peck goes back to this field he runs to meet his girlfriend or his fiance, jumps in the car next to her, and they get killed in the car crash. Mm-hmm. So when the EMTs arrive and they cut off his clothing, what do they find? Right. Because yeah. if they found the Faraday cage and all of that human machine that he's become, 
then fringe team would have been called. And we, I don't want to say we know they weren't, but doesn't, you know, we don't have any indication that they were called. So, you know. Right. Because, well, because Walter is sitting there writing his letter like, like he was the previous two times. Right. So right at the end. So we assume that basically life kind of went on as previously normal. Yeah. Except for without the presence of Alistair Peck, who probably in that time did not make much of an impact on the world as he was probably just in his lab by himself. You know? Right. And and then, you know, I, I guess because we're so steeped in the multiverse, then I'm starting to think, all right, on the one hand, the Alistair Peck that jumps in the car would have to be the machine version. But if he's not, is he somehow, you know, is there an Alistair Peck that's traveling between the universes? But now I think I'm going down a rabbit hole, which. Right. You, 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 you definitely, that, that is a rabbit hole and you did it. So we have to talk about it. No, but, but you're absolutely right. Like, well, wait, there, there's an Alistair Peck whose wife died that day, right? Yeah. And that's not the, you know, like him back then, like whatever, 10, 11 months ago, whatever, right? Right. That's, uh, yeah. Yeah, I don't, I, I might, that's, that's making my brain hurt a little bit about that. But yeah, but yeah, right. Cause for sure, right. His, himself. Is there, unless he is like, maybe he's jumping back into his own body though. Maybe like that's his deal. And then that way he won't, I don't know. Well, and that's the thing we don't know. And and again, that's fine. Based on the information that we have, the fringe team never investigated the train incident. Did they investigate the car crash? And we just never we're privy to that investigation uh, again it, you, there's no real point in, in continuing that but but yeah i think the yeah, they just wanted to say okay he he went back he died and that was right it. and and the real question was i i think becomes does he know that he's deliberately going to his own death so that he can die with the woman he loves or is he going back thinking as you said, all right, um, go up to the light, make a right, and then we'll go back to our apartment or whatever. Now, on yeah. the one hand, you could say, all right, that's the way it's going to transpire. And then when they get to the light, they're going to get T-boned there. But who knows? The, but the thing about Walter's... Right. Or, or, you know, the, well, you see things like the, the, the balloon there and everything, right? Yeah. And you're like, oh, is this where something that he actually causes his wife's death by going back, you know, which we've seen, you know, that before. And I'm actually glad they didn't go that way because we, like I said, we've seen that before, right? Oh yeah. Uh, we've, we, that's been done ad nauseum in sci-fi. So I think him going back in time just to be there with her when she dies, I mean, a, that's quite romantic, I think, and B a different ending than I was not expecting that. Yeah. So, um, well, well, let's talk about Walter's letter for a second, because you, at the beginning, you know, his first thought is that this is collective heart failure. But but really, you know, it's almost like 
Walter is on the verge of a panic attack as he tells Olivia, I can't even look at Peter. And he drops the letter on the train. And the first time we see it's under this woman's high heels and, you know, the one of the FBI agents picks it up and, and Walter realizes that the second iteration, Peter steps on the note. Now, we don't know if he stepped on it in the first iteration and the camera just didn't show it to us. I find that hard to believe. So is it an indication that had we had a third iteration, maybe Peter sees, oh, that envelope's addressed to me. Let me pick it up. That's Walter's handwriting. And that's how the reveal takes place. Again, we'll never know because we don't get that third iteration. Right, right. We don't, right? Right. Um, it's just such a like a, a a real super crap idea, Walter's part to just kind of leave the letter lying about someplace that Peter will pick it up and read it. Like, uh, you know, it, it just shows you his ambiguity about this, right? Like, he wants to tell Peter, he wants to come clean, but the other half of him so much doesn't want to do it right so he's trying to like make ways like very similar to like the whole theme of this thing is like well let's let's let fate decide right i will write a letter i'll drop a letter and if he finds it great it's that that's a sign from maybe a sign from god that this was supposed to happen that's what i'm supposed to do uh if he doesn't find it then that similarly is a sign that uh we're not to broach the subject okay so you contend he dropped it on purpose, I guess I look at it like he puts it, it appears in his sweater pocket. And then you could argue, well, why does he even bring it with him in the first place? Is his plan to hand it to Peter and then run to Olivia's car and say, step on it. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Which may in fact, I'm definitely picturing him doing that. Because, you know, I'm thinking it's more something like that because when he sees the agent pick it up from the floor, he's really, I don't want to say horrified, but, but he, he's certainly intent on getting it back. So no, it might be one of those things that he dropped it. And then the, the realization of what's going to happen next gives him second thought. Uh, again, we don't know. Yeah. I, I, I don't think I ever really considered that he might've accidentally dropped it, which is probably the most likely scenario. Now that I think about it, right. right. What you said seems more reasonable. Right. But because why do you, why even bring it? But the other thing that, that is interesting in terms of the team identifying Peck, the first time they they identify him through that cafe receipt and Peter finds his MIT diploma. The second time they ID him from a fingerprint from the train and that, you know, leads them to get a hit in the NASA database. And this time it's Walter that finds the diploma. So in these time loops, you know, things the same things occur it's just they occur differently which is one of the fascinating things i i find about time loops so which is again kind of like what i kind of like about like the groundhog day you know narrative framework is that like right? like how the 
the, the slight differences we see in them. And in this case, like you said, you know, well, Bill Murray starts doing things differently purposefully. Uh, in this case, things are happening differently sometimes because like, you know, like for example, when uh, the second time around, when uh, Alistair gets off the train and there's our man, Richard Harmon waiting at the bottom. And, uh, you know, he says, sorry to put you through this again. And that like, you know, he didn't say anything to him before. And now they're like, again, what do you mean by that? You know, so that leads him down and they're able to find his apartment quicker which then also means that they don't run into him because he doesn't come back to his apartment because he's at the lab or whatever. Right. Now, you mentioned that opening scene with Richard Harmon, a.k.a. Julian Randall in Continuum, and also John Murphy in The Hundred, great roles in, in both series. And that that line that Peck says the second time, sorry, you have to go through this again, to any other FBI team, it would, I don't want to say be meaningless, Right. But, oh, again, well, are we talking time travel? I mean, it's it's something that they almost immediately grab onto. But but in the time loops, you know, Russian doll, um, you know, the, I, I think the other thing that's fascinating about these time loop stories is that it's just the one character. You mentioned Bill Murray. I can't remember the character's name in Russian doll. In this case, it's... it's it was Natasha Leone was the actress. Right. I can't remember character right in this case alistair pay it's just that one character that retains the memories right as each iteration moves forward so uh anyway all right let's see what else we got here um oh the 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 storyline that's taking place in the background with peter and walter's relationship and I think, again, what's so fascinating in this episode is that Walter is able to confide in Olivia and she's willing to listen to him. She doesn't really know at this point what kind of advice because she's vacillated herself. And at this point, she's decided she's not going to tell Peter, of course, when Walter says, well, I'm going to anyway. So maybe that takes her off the hook to to a certain extent and you know there's certainly support for that but but she's willing to listen and and she certainly can understand but she does convey to walter you you need to get a grip on yourself here he has no idea why you're acting so weird and and peter knows he's acting weird and just in the background peter doing you know this this loving thing for his father which you know look given peter bishop's skill level repairing a turntable uh, is probably fairly low on the you know the skill level required so right but he knows how much it'll mean to walter and the fact that walter is so worried about losing his son you know, you understand it, you, because Peter, look how far Peter has come from the first episode right. of the series where he barely wanted to look at his father. He didn't even want to go to help to get him out at right. all. So yep. uh, just just really, I, I thought uh, just a, a great scene for sure. Oh, geez, let's see what else. Oh, oh, when they first get there and Olivia gets up into the, 
uh, office of Alistair Peck. And we, we, along with her, we see all the computations on the walls. Send up the bishops, please. Because <laughs> yeah. nobody else is going to make, you know, heads or tails of this gobbledygook. Fortunately, I have somebody fluent in gobbledygook. <laughs> so, yeah, again, some yeah. great lines, but. Uh, there are some good lines, but not, you know, not as, as always. The, you know, Fringe doesn't do a, a lot with the humor, but they do little bits here and there that that was, uh, that was nice. The one especially, send the bishops up, please. That was fun. Yeah. I, I keep going back to that scene where we see Peck surgically implanting Dude. something else. Oh, my God. And <laughs> I, I guess I wish we had gotten that scene where he explains to Walter exactly what he's done to himself because look we we don't know what his process we only see these last two iterations you know uh, the two on the train and then the one in the field so i guess that's three so we don't know what he was able to do before that walter tells him so you know i'm pretty sure you've only been able to go back as far as the train and i don't know that peck confirms or denies that but I mean, does he go back to the train and like, all right, well, that didn't work. Let me add in whatever the hell he's adding. Right. Yeah. Let me, let me put another piece of metal underneath my skin. Ugh. That is tough to watch. Yeah. It reminds me of that (laughs) quote by Isaac Asimov about, you know, as we move forward with, with, uh, cybernetics and and you know man becomes part machine machine becomes part man at what you know at what point is it indistinguishable Mm -hmm. and yeah alistair peck's yeah and especially since you the guy who played robocop is yeah doing this like that makes you know when you think about that way it's like wow that's a very nice casting call here for this particular role. Yeah, and I would think I'm, I'm going to look it up now. I would think RoboCop was way before this, right? Oh, for sure, RoboCop was back in the '80s. So, oh yeah, 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 '87. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Man. I remember that came out when I was in high school. Yeah. So, um, what else? What do we? Uh... Um, so I mean, we do have this moment, right, where. I think Olivia mentions she's experiencing deja vu, and Peter says, "Oh yeah, like you know, he doesn't ever experience deja vu." Uh, and then says, "Maybe it's because you know he ascribes." I, I can't remember who he said, but somebody says that deja vu is just you know your consciousness lining up with your destiny, right? And he's like, "Well, maybe I'm not in line with my destiny," and so it's just another little line from peter where we know that you know everything that about him that makes him different from everyone else in this world we're like oh okay yeah there's another thing so right he says that and olivia's like Uh, yeah (laughs) he's like "Ah, it's probably nothing i wouldn't worry about it yeah um as as really great as this episode is you know so much of the events duplicate themselves so where we ordinarily have a 44 minute episode to a certain extent we only have you know maybe a 34 minute episode and and while Mm -hmm. you know the incidents on the train have you know little minute differences essentially they're the same so 
you know, I'm, I'm, you know, as we're doing the discussion, as I'm sure people can figure out because, you know, we'll say, ah, oh, we're 15 minutes in and we haven't got to the episode yet because, you know, we can see the running clock on our recording software <laughs> right in front of us. <laughs> um, right. you know, I feel like there should be so much more to talk about and I'm scrambling around to figure yeah. out what that is. Well, it, it, I mean, there's, there's the, Big things. I think we've kind of kind of covered like those big things because I mean, really, like what this is about. Like, there's that that time travel element, right? And there's always Bendy, and there's always, like I said, they they either kind of drop the ball on this one a little bit, or just like with you know, refuse to kind of address the issue of like where's the other Alistair Peck when he or maybe they told us somewhere in there, and I just completely missed it because whenever they talk about the science stuff. My brain just kind of goes, just shuts down for a little bit, and just like I, I, you know, that's I, I do blame Fred for this a little bit because he does too good a job of explaining all this stuff. So I, as a lazy person, do not really bother trying to figure out because I'll just be like, ah, Fred will explain it to us (laughs) and his feedback and everything. So Fred, thank you, I appreciate that, and I will try to be better. You know, but but I think that's again, that's that's just a you know. We're just going to let you – don't worry about that issue, I guess, is, is what they want. But, you know, this whole thing of, of forgiveness and and Walter, he's got this burden on him. that, And we've you know, all had something that you've dreaded doing, right? Like everyone's had something in their life. And they have to do something. They don't want to do it. But they know it has to be done. And it's like all you can think about, right? And you can't sleep because of it and you're just you you can't concentrate on normal everyday things you're just like okay i just got to get this thing done uh but you know walter is still perseverating here and you know so he's just suffering all the 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 heartache of of what he knows must be done but he just is so terrified of doing it that uh you know he just he's he can't he can't get himself to that point where he just is like okay i'm just gonna just do it just like rip the bandaid off boom and let you know consequences fall where they may well yeah and on one level this is a standalone episode that has time travel at its core but the greater world of fringe really hasn't been dealing with time travel so at the end, just as as you allude, this episode's really all about Walter learning to forgive himself for what he perceives to be this unpardonable sin. And while I, I think a reasonable person sees rocky waters ahead once Peter learns the truth, which I think we all can assume eventually he will um that yeah. then becomes the question walter is learning to forgive himself now can peter forgive walter um you know and then again in the background um, i don't think it's uh, totally accurate to say that olivia has forgiven walter for jacksonville and while True she's on that path yeah that that's a big ask to use a phrase that i absolutely hate so i can't yeah. even believe i just said that <laughs> yeah. but she went and did i man. did yes all right well you know david it is what it is so yeah. what are you can do all right let's um 
tra- travel back in time and I, I think we call <laughs> like that editing in the uh, podcast world. Um, so, anyway, but, what were you uh, going to say? But, but yeah. Oh, oh, oh the, uh, forgiveness with uh, Olivia. Um, yeah, yeah. Like, as you said, that's, that's something that, uh, I mean, she's, you know, working on it, I guess. Um, but you can see that, that, uh, we, you know, we don't see that in her everyday interactions with, with Walter, but certainly as, as a human being, that's got to play part of it. But I think also part of it is her understanding that the Walter before her now is so different than that Walter from back then. Right. And while that doesn't excuse, right. That doesn't excuse Walter for the, the terrible things he did in his past, but you know, probably for Olivia, that that realization is that this guy is he he's he's not that person who who did this to me all those years ago. I mean, he is that person, but he's not. I guess has a good way of compartmentalizing things and putting things behind her and moving on and getting the task done, which is really what basically Olivia is all about is is doing what needs to be done, right? Right, and I think it's fair to say that Walter Bishop has been on a redemption tour post-St. Clair's, and given that he's able to work with Olivia and Peter is really the, you know, the, the, what enables him to you know, feel like he's worthy of redemption. So now, William Bell, I don't think Olivia's quite ready to forgive William Bell yet. That's a story for another day. All right, anything else? It's a story for another day. No, I think I think we're probably good. Okay. I think I'm good, at least. All right. Let's get to listener feedback. And we have a new contributor this week, Megan Ray from Canada. So let's take a listen, and we'll be right back. Hello, Dave and Wayne and everyone at Sci-Fi TV Rewatch. This is Megan Ray from Canada. First time calling in with feedback. I am a avid fringe fan. I own the DVDs and have probably watched the entire season about eight times. The I highly recommend the uh, outtakes on the DVDs. Uh, the outtakes for season two falls on the DVD with Jacksonville, Peter, and uh, Olivia in the lab with a revolver. So, of course, I just watched that one, which is hilarious. Uh, feedback for the episode 17. In general, I would say time travel storylines are irritating to track and can be repetitive. They did a good job of minimizing repetition by only focusing on things that changed with each cycle and the emotional character beats, such as Walter writing his letter. I'm sure Fred will say turning your body into a Faraday cage is too far-fetched, but for me, it's so far past the uncanny valley that it's easier to suspend disbelief than some of the more possible storylines, similar to the multiverse premise. I liked how Walter used his experience with breaking the worlds to save Peter to convince Alistair not to make the same mistake, but instead of giving up on saving her, he joined her in the crash. Also liked the cyclical nature of Walter's decision to tell Peter. He's building up to it at the beginning with the letter, tells Alistair he's waiting for a sign from God that it will all work out, timeline resets, and after finishing the letter, decides against it, then receives the sign that he told Alistair about. 
Now, I guess he'll have to rewrite the letter if he's planning on telling Peter after all. I liked how Alistair's jumps sucked energy from human cells and electronics alike, making a nice commentary or comparison between the two. However, human cells, particularly mitochondria, don't share don't store electrical energy. They store chemical energy, perhaps uh, draining their nervous systems of electrical charge would have been more apt. Not sure how they would have identified that with a tissue sample, though. As a diehard shipper, especially of Olivia and Peter, this episode did not have enough Olivia and Peter content for my liking, but I'm sure that will be coming. One component of Fringe as a whole that you haven't mentioned yet are the symbols that appear before commercial breaks. The symbol and the dot location correspond to a letter of the alphabet. There is a secret cipher hidden in Fringe. Each episode, these symbols make a secret, secret word. This episode, a uh, secret word was secret. I'll post the key for uh, the alphabet to uh, in the Facebook group. Thanks for all your commentary and hopefully talk to you next week. Dude, all I got to say is, wow, eight watches of Fringe. That's impressive, given that it's 100 episodes. So I don't know if there's a show that I've watch that much there's a lot of the early seasons of x files i probably saw each episode six seven times because what i used to do back in the day when i used to record them to vhs tapes in the summer i would do a total rewatch getting ready for the new season in september so but not eight um yeah that that, that is very impressive and we apologize for all the stupid things we're going to say that we should have picked up on <laughs> because obviously, uh, Megan, you are, uh, probably the definitely more of an expert on fringe than, than we are. Yeah. Now, uh, love, hate relationship with time travel. So certainly something I think most of us can relate to, but the notion of whether or not Walter will rewrite the letter that's that's pretty fascinating because on the one hand, it's easy to say, well, he throws it in the fire, that's it. Maybe, maybe not. As he says to Olivia, writing the letter gets his thoughts across so much more succinctly and accurately than if he would stammer in front of Peter and perhaps have Peter storm out or whatever. So, but I never really thought about whether he would rewrite it. So I didn't think about that either. I, I, my instinct would be saying that, that Walter would not rewrite it. Right? When he, that was a definitive moment when he threw it on the fire. So, which then is going to leave him to ultimately stammering and telling him in an unconcise uh, manner. Right. Um, and then, Megan Ray brings up the symbols that appear before commercial breaks. And, and I know that, that the information is out there and posting them in the Facebook group would be great. I'll go ahead and pin it to the top. I just never really had, I guess, the desire to figure out what the hell any of that meant. And, and yeah, I, I even know back from, from Daryl's podcast, I believe 
he addressed that on the podcast, but I don't remember now. But but uh, yeah, that that's certainly some fascinating stuff. So yeah, I, I, as I was rewatching this, I just I was like, I, I I seem to remember there was something about all the symbols and everything. So, but uh, Megan, they they cleared it up for us there. Thank you, appreciate that. Uh, because I like I again like I was just like I, I should have probably by this point looked it up and said what's the deal with the symbols on fringe but i didn't so uh yes thank you for posting the key that that's awesome so, all right well let's hear what alan in england's got and we'll be right back hello to everyone at sci-fi tv rewatch this is alan from england here with feedback mostly about fringe episode white tulip while i'm watching I finished Chosen, which got curiouser and curiouser, uh, ending in a way that felt like the whole season was like a kind of pilot or springboard for more longer seasons, so we'll see if that happens. Keeping up with Strange New Worlds, Episode 2, really great and thoughtful, reminiscent of a certain Next Generation episode, but I won't say more. Watched the first Black Mirror, Episode 1, was about 10 minutes into it thinking, so where's the Black Mirror bit? Then all of a sudden... Boom, it kicks in, and then it's really uh, amazing. Excited to see that trailer for Three Body Problem, probably as complex as dark in some ways, but uh, no time travel. Uh, Did you know the Chinese government have effectively banned time travel as a subject in science fiction, TV and movies? Fringe. Okay, so it's not dark complicated, but it does have some time travel, which always confuses things. And I had a nitpick or two with the, the episode, This episode is from the chronology perspective of the Time Jumper, but not the regular team. So it's a bit like Groundhog Day, but Alistair Peck is Bill Murray. So from his perspective or timeline, we have bit one not recorded in this episode. We just infer it. This is all of their shared history and timeline all the way back from whenever through May the 18th when Arlette dies all the way up to the present day, which let's say is March 18th, because it's supposed to be about 10 months later. At 8 o'clock in the morning, nothing has happened, no passengers affected, the young man never bumped into Peck. Later that day, which we don't see, Peck jumps out. So, part two, we see in the episode, which is from about 30 seconds in to about 14 and a half minutes in, Peck arrives March 18th, 8am, and the passengers are killed. The fringe team then comes to investigate, and via the interview in the cafe and CCTV, they find him. Interesting how they used multiple screens to piece together Peck's journey on the CCTV. It would be quite interesting to view parts of this episode with a split-screen approach, showing the various timelines simultaneously appearing. Nice exchange, though. Peter, have you noticed anything uh, weird? Olivia, no, but give it ten minutes. When they locate Peck... Then he jumps back. Then we have bit three, from about 14 minutes to about 35 minutes in the episode. Peck arrives March 18th, 8am, and kills the passengers. But it's not really again, because the first bit now hasn't happened, right? Because he's jumped back to exactly the same moment in time. Then he says to the young man, sorry you have to go through this again. But of course, from the boy's perspective, it's not again. It's his first time. 
According to uh, that chaos theory and the butterfly effect, the tiniest change in initial conditions could eventually lead to different uh, outcomes. So perhaps due to this ever so slightly altered thought processes, this time the fringe team pick up Peck's fingerprints and identify him a different way. Olivia has deja vu, but this is my nitpick. She can't have deja vu because it hasn't happened. They are not the time travellers. It's not like their memories are being reset like the androids in Westworld. It just hasn't happened for them. After the meeting at MIT, Walter thinks they might be in a time loop and even uh, proposes that maybe they have apprehended Peck several times before. But again, that would only be from Peck's perspective. Olivia finds out about Arlette's death as a potential reason for Peck's actions, which of course mirror Walter's actions in risking everything to save one person, no matter the cost. When uh, Walter talks about the unimaginable, I'm reminded of that song near the end of the musical Hamilton, where there are indeed some parallels. He goes on to talk about his uh, desire for a sign of affirmation and talks about the white tulip. Eventually, the rest of the team burst in and Peck bursts out. Now we're into bit four. Episode timing, about 35 minutes to 38 minutes. Peck arrives at some time to work on and perfect his time-jumping formula or technology. And then he actually jumps a long way, which then is bit five. Episode timing, about 38 to 39 minutes. Peck arrives May 18th, previous year, in that field, thereby not killing anybody. Finds Arlette, but then they are killed in that car crash almost immediately. So that's the end of the timeline from his perspective. The rest of the episode is when we catch up to March the 18th, but it's still that whole slightly altered dead peck timeline, which is now how things always now seem to have been for the fringe team and everybody else. Although I now wonder what the observers would have made in it. Walter gets his white tulip. I'm happy now with the time-jumping sequencing, as Peck managed to send this to Walter, but only Peck would have remembered the conversation, and so passed it on. So, in the end, no one extra died as a result of all this time-jumping, except, of course, Peck. As various people and movies have quoted, all's well in the end. And if it's not well, well, it's not the end. Even though this was kind of Monster of the Week, because of the almost telling Peter various times about his history, it fitted into the kind of wider story. Excellent episode. Take care, Alan from England. Nice job laying out the time travel time loop iterations. Uh, Alan, you, you did some of our work for us there. <laughs> that, so that was definitely yeah. helpful. And then, as I mentioned, I started watching The Chosen on your recommendation. And, and Alan, I know you didn't give it this glowing over-the-top recommendation, but, but certainly... If you're using the word more curious or curiouser, if we want to go down the uh, Alice in Wonderland uh, route, is going to get me to check it out. And like I said, six episodes, literally 40, 42 minute episodes, certainly in my wheelhouse. What else about Alan's? Oh, yeah. the, the uh, You had mentioned with the Stranger Worlds, and this isn't fringe, but. Uh, yeah, I couldn't, as I said at the beginning, I couldn't agree more with that, especially episode two of the new season of Strange New Worlds. Really love that. Um, the Black Mirror, the first episode of the new season, Black Mirror. Yeah, I, I get, and there's actually a couple 
of the new season episodes where you're like, where's the quote unquote Black Mirror aspect of it? And then all of a sudden, like it kicks in, you're like, oh, there it is, you know, and everything. So, um, but yeah, it's pretty cool. I, I finished uh, all of season one. Um, and uh, yeah, so keep keep going there, Alan. They're pretty good. We a lot of uh, Alan stuff, um, you know. We kind of incorporated into, or we talked about during the uh, the stuff. He do, yeah, he did a great job of laying out the the timelines there. All right, well, let's hear what Fred's got for us from the Netherlands, and we'll be back to talk about that. Hello, Dave and Wayne, and all listeners to Sci-Fi TV Rewatch. This is Fred from the Netherlands with some feedback for the Fringe episode. White Tulip, Season 2, Episode 17, or, according to IMDb, Episode 18. First off, coming back to last week's podcast. Indeed, I know the game Cluedo, that is how it's called in the Netherlands, but I never played it, so that's why it didn't say click with me. But when you explained it, Wayne and Alan as well, I could understand this crazy title of last week. I just didn't pay attention enough when Sam Wise came with the game to Olivia's apartment. And they actually played it, and there was actually a revolver. So that should have said click. But on the other hand, perhaps the title should have been Olivia in her living room with the candle holder. What am I watching? Well, still the same stuff. The Shannara Chronicles, Imposters, and of course Fringe and Star Trek's Strange New Worlds. Furthermore, I had a very nice encounter this week i met up with brian tackerberry who came to rotterdam to visit me but he already had posted a picture of that on the facebook page and actually that's taken in front of our central station in the background uh, <laughs> the church bells again but since dave and wayne warned me that they would record a little earlier it's not sunday so there will be probably a funeral or a wedding whatever uh, but uh, meeting with uh, Brian was very, very, very nice. It's nice when you have these podcast friends that you once in a while meet them in real person. So I visited you, Dave and Wayne, and I also met Mark Decote of Solotop Media, Steve Salier in St. Louis of the Fenegal Zone. And Brian is a is not a podcaster himself, but he is a audio feedback giver, just as me for the His Dark Materials podcast with Chip and Sarah. And actually there we met up and also made a, or I say A, we even did several roundtable discussions via Zoom. And I'm really always amazed that if you start to know somebody via Zoom or MS Teams, and that's on a regular base, that when you meet somebody in person, it's not that different. I mean, when I met Brian, I thought, okay, you're just more or less like I think you would be. It's really crazy how this technology connects people. Uh, it's always said, uh, also in the corona period, in the pandemic period, that people didn't connect, but it absolutely has a other side. So we did some sightseeing of modern uh, Rotterdam ar architecture. Well, you, you get an impression about our central station, but there are more crazy buildings in Rotterdam. So thank you very much, Brian, for visiting me. It was great. And what Brian did, he announced me that the episode of this week would be a topper, a really great episode. And at that moment, I hadn't seen it, but now I've seen it. And Brian, you're completely right. 
The only thing was the double scenes, of course, if you go back in time and then relive it in a deja vu setting, that's always a little bit, well, feels cheap because you see the same scene again. But fortunately, they took a little different camera points. So although it was the same, it felt still a little different. It reminded me a little bit of Travelers, and actually Brian and I talked about it without me having seen this episode about the scene in Travelers where this woman falls from a airplane and does it again and again and again. It's one of his favorite shows, he told me. Well, this time, in contrast to the previous episode, they got the biology a little bit right. It's indeed that the mitochondria are your main energy let's say, factories in the body, and they indeed use ATP. So that was all right. Whether you could deplete a whole body from its energy is the second thing, but okay, that's fringe. At least it's based on something that's more or less right. I wonder if it was Alistair Peck's idea from the beginning just to see his fiancée say he loves her and then die together. So that's why he wasn't so worried to change the timeline uh, in a big way. The only difference was he died. And since he died, he couldn't write all this extra scientific stuff he did after his fiancée died. So the scientific stuff he did could, of course, change the future a lot. But he died, so he couldn't do that. Or was he actually planning to pull his fiancée from the car, as he told Walter? And did Walter now change his mind? I was a bit disappointed that Walter didn't tell the truth to Peter in this episode. I was actually expecting that. And he even burned the letter he wrote. So now I really wonder how long it will take until Peter knows it and from whom he will get the knowledge or comes to the conclusion himself somehow, whatever. I'm a bit disappointed that Walter starts to call Astrid names again like Aspro, but perhaps it shows how disturbed he is. And I don't mean mentally disturbed, but out of his comfort zone. With this big task ahead, namely telling Peter. The teenager in the train station, by the way, was played by Richard Harmon, who also plays Julian Randall in Continuum. A very nice show with a nice podcast by Mike and Dave. He also plays in The 100, but that's a series I didn't see yet. I will give the episode a straight A, and now my time's up. So, greetings, all the best, Fred from the Netherlands. Fred, hopefully the church bells are for a wedding rather than a funeral because... Yeah, I said the same thing, right? <laughs> yeah, because they're, uh, you know, they, they have a, a kind of a happy tone to them, which I guess I'm just reading into it, but... Um, well, they do. I mean, they're, they're, it's a beautiful sound. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. Everything's... Uh, I guess you'd want that same beautiful sound, whether if you were you know, leaving this world, you wouldn't be able to appreciate it, but you know, it's still, it's nice. Yeah. And that's of course awesome that he got to meet Brian. And I wondered about that building that the two of you are standing in front of. And, and you hate to make architectural judgments based on part of one building. But one of the things that my wife and I continually remark on is, is the architecture in all of these different European cities and you and I have mentioned it before. Here in America, building gets to be 30 years old. Tear that sucker down. Let's put up a new one. Europe, mm-hmm. eh, it's only 300 years old. Eh, we got another 300 years to go, and then we'll revisit it. So 
and and then of course even the newer buildings in in Europe just seem to have so much more style and flair. But I don't know. Maybe it's just the cities that are uh, yeah. in which well, these stories. We've mentioned this before. Like I mean, there's you know stuff in Europe that's thousands of years old, and there's nothing in America that's more than at best maybe 300 years old, 400 years old at the, at the most. And very little of that. It would all be in the Northeast as well. So, um, you know, the further West you get the there's, you're not even going to find anything that's a hundred years old. Yeah. So it's pretty wild. Yeah. Like that. Not, not the, the European, obviously there's a lot of things Native that the American. Native Americans have done and, and made that is thousands of years old. We just, they're not incorporated into our, uh, you know, are big cities. Uh, but the one thing that Fred brings up is that really brief interchange between Walter and Astrid, where he calls her Astro after calling her Astrid for the longest time. But as Fred points out, is that because he's so upset about Peter? And I would argue that, yeah, I, th- I think you nailed it, Fred. I think that's exactly what it is because I don't think anything has changed in their workflow. They're still getting, you know, the same kind of bizarro cases that they always get. And there's nothing that's so difficult to comprehend for Walter Bishop in this one, as opposed to previous ones. So what's different? Well, the Peter thing. So yeah, Fred, I think Mm -hmm. you hit on that. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. But I I feel like in the future, he's still going to do it. Still, he's going to make that mistake more. But but yeah, certainly, I think in this case, uh, the reversion to that is probably because he's just like like we just said before, like he's just he's so out of sorts because of this thing that he has hanging over him that he has to do, but he doesn't want to do. All right, anything else? Um, well, this is another thing that Fred had said about COVID. How everyone says, "Oh, I was so alone. We were so separated." But you know. It's, Funny enough, like over COVID, I mean, I, I'm sure I'm not alone in this, but I was like Skyping with my some of my friends from high school, like pretty much every Friday night over that time, right? Um, so I was seeing them and interacting with them. Now that once that ended, we don't do that anymore. Yeah. And I see them. You know, some of my buddies I'll see every couple of months or so, maybe two or three times a year. So, you know, I, I do agree that, like, whereas we tend to think of COVID as having, you know, isolated people. But I think, as as Fred said, like, in a lot of ways, it uh, actually increased the amount of time that we um, were interacting with uh, other people. All right. Well, why don't we leave it there for the feedback, Fred? Alan, Megan, Ray, thank you guys so much. I'm going to agree with Fred and just give this one an A. Yeah, I give it A too. I, you know, I I know I gave Peter the I think it's Peter, right? That gave the A plus. I, I can't think of any reason why not to give this one an A plus, except for you know what that whole bit about Alistair Peck. There being there should be two, right? Okay. That that's we'll grade them down a uh, a a third of a grade because of that. Right. I don't know why. No, I was just feeling like A rather than A plus. I don't know why. Okay. It's it's not an international assassin. All right. Yeah, right. and, and that's your you know that's your fallback. That, so that's my that's that's the golden standard. So, 
Okay. I think about that. Is it is it is it international assassin? Is it uh, Blink? It is neither of those. So, A. All right. Sounds good. All right. Well, let's end it here before you uh, dig your hole any deeper. But that w- <laughs> that'll do it for this episode of Sci-Fi TV Rewatch. Thank you for joining us. Love to hear what you think about Fringe. Anything going on in your genre world? Check out the Facebook group if you haven't already. Sci-Fi TV Rewatch at gmail.com is the way you can reach us. We'll be back next week to talk about Season 2, Episode 18, The Man from the Other Side of the Fox series Fringe. But until then... You know, Dave, every now and then when I consider the immense power and influence in our hands uh, as we do this podcast, it's good for us to step back every once in a while and just remind ourselves that it's not our place to adjust the universe.